0: would you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you for this opportunity to worship. Thank you for those words that we just sang, that, that it is in your name that we have victory. And so we call upon that name now. Would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you remind us of the promises that you make? Or as we open up your word, would you remind us that we are filled in you and you alone? We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, it's good to be back here at the uh, Mill Creek campus. It's been a few months since I've been able to be with you here. And uh, it's in that time, uh, a quick update from the Scavato house. Our son, Luca, is officially walking. Uh, it's very exciting and exhausting. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the two people who were happy for us. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, we're, we're thrilled for him. It's, it's very exciting. Uh, he's always on the move. I try to have him sit with me and, and I read to him and he wants nothing to do with me. He wants to go play and it makes me sad. Um, but it's so fun to, to see him develop this new skill and, and to see how proud of himself he is. He'll, he'll walk around, and he'll just have this, like, big smile on his face, and sometimes he'll, like, cackle to himself. It's very cute. Uh, but it's been interesting seeing him develop and, and grow in his ability. In fact, uh, in just a second, I want to show you a video I brought with me of, of when he was still figuring it out, and he hadn't quite mastered this new skill that he had, and uh, it was interesting. So check this out. Okay, look. Okay. Can we go to Dada? Go to Dada. Go to Dada. Give we... me. Oh, that's okay. Let's try again. oh hello. <laughs> face first <laughs> now i should mention before those of you might think that i'm a terrible parent he was okay there were no kids harmed in the making of that video he he's fallen many times he gets up every single time um but today as we continue our our journey through the book of colossians this was the the image or, or the video that that kept coming to my mind uh Many of you have been tracking with us, we've been working through this this letter, this this beautiful letter written to one of the earliest churches in history. This group of Christians that were trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in a world filled with different ideas about what that looked like. And so the Apostle Paul, one of the first missionaries of our faith, writes this letter uh, to this church, and his purpose is to remind them of who Jesus really is and what he really accomplished, and to remind them that that contrary to what so many around them seem to believe and, and even seem to be teaching, that Jesus is the only authority, the only hope, that Jesus is all that they need in order to live a full and complete life. This is why we're calling this series The Fullness of God. And this, by the way, is why we've been encouraging you to memorize part of this beautiful letter, these uh, verses in Colossians chapter 1. Do you remember that? You've been working on it? Uh, You might remember Pastor Sterling has claimed that he's the worst memorizer in this entire church. Uh, And so I think we should call this the race against Sterling. Uh, And if you see him after service, quiz him. See how he's doing. I don't know. (laughs) Happy to help. That's for saying, those of you that don't like Joe, I'm sure you like Judy. (laughs) Uh, Let's read that together, though. Go ahead and put it on the screen, and would you read this aloud with me, these verses that we're encouraging you to, to memorize and put on your heart? Read this with me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on 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 earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I can't even read it, let alone memorize it. (laughs) So Paul's been doing this. He's been writing all of this to, to remind us, to encourage us. He's walking through the identity and the supremacy and the authority of Jesus. Reminding these Christians, reminding us that he is the only one worthy of our worship. The only one worth following. That brings us to our passage today. We see Paul turn his attention to this little church, and and for the first time we're going to see Paul give them something to do. The first command in this entire letter is going to show up in our passage today, and this is what we're going to see. But Paul is saying, with all of this in mind, you have one great call. To walk with Jesus. To walk with Jesus. To learn, just like my son is learning. What it looks like to grow in your ability to walk in his presence. To walk in his power. To walk with Christ himself. So, would you read these first couple of verses with me? Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7, it says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Recently, I was uh, talking to someone. I, I told him that, that Judy and I have uh, now been living in our house longer than we've ever lived somewhere in our marriage. We've been married for seven years. We lived in six different places in those seven years. I was thinking back to our our first apartment. It was uh, a third-floor walk-up. The the stairs were outside. Terrible. Uh, Most of our neighbors, we are pretty sure, were criminals. Uh, And then there was us, and we were 23-year-old newlyweds. I worked at a church. (laughs) I was like, we didn't fit in. (laughs) Our rent was $600 a month. Can you imagine that? We thought that was a lot. (laughs) I also told this person that, that I've now been working at Chapel Street longer than I've ever worked somewhere. You guys haven't gotten rid of me yet. Praise the Lord. And their response was, was something like, it, it's good to put down roots, isn't it? You know that phrase, to put your roots down? And it is nice, and, and we are grateful, and, and this is what Paul is telling us, that when we are in Christ, the same thing is true, that we have become rooted, grounded, built up, established in him. Look again at verse 7, we see Paul use all these different metaphors, and and we'll see this throughout our passage of of Paul using different images to drive his point home to these Colossians. And he's saying that, that when we are in Christ, notice this, we are rooted and built up in him. In other words, when we are in Christ, we have become connected and united and tied together to Jesus himself. That just like a tree depends on its roots to grow, and just like a house must have a firm foundation to stand tall. But the strength of our faith comes not from what is visible, not from what is public, not the good deeds you can accomplish, not the things you can produce. Not the fruit of your life, but the root of it. The relationship that you have with Jesus. This is what a life of faith looks like, a life that is deeply rooted, a life that is anchored and stabilized and grounded, a life that gets its nourishment, not just from one half-hour sermon a week, but from a daily and devoted and personal relationship with God. This is what Paul is saying to these Colossian Christians that, that all of us have a choice to make. That we all must choose what it is we will put our roots down in. Not when it comes to buying a house or raising a family, but, but what is it that we will be anchored to? What is it that you are utterly reliant on for the nourishment of your mind and your soul? Where is it that you turn when you are in need of hope or of wisdom or of rest? How is it? that you define things like right and wrong and truth and falsehood? How do you respond when you look outside and you see a broken world or when you look inside and you see nothing different? Jesus talks about this idea in uh, Matthew chapter 7. Let me read this to you. It says, "Uh, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. In other words, this is the choice that we have today. Where will we build our house? Who is it that we'll trust to root our lives to? I love how Paul puts it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says that no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. He is the anchor. Maybe today this is the reminder that you need if if you know what it's like to experience those storms that Jesus was talking about, if your life is in chaos, if you're feeling anxious or afraid, then it is only Jesus that is a firm foundation. Only him that is immovable, unchangeable. He is the house built on a rock. He is the one that says, come to me if you are weary or burdened, and I will give you rest and safety and protection. We've been rooted, grounded, built up in him. This is what Paul has in mind when he gives us this great command. Look again at verse 6. It says that just as you received Jesus as Lord to walk in him. Walk in him. Think for a minute about the way in which Jesus invited people to join his ministry. Do you remember the words that he said over and over again? Follow me. Not agree with me. Not don't mess up in front of me. Not even believe in me. But follow me. Those of you that know your history know that, that this was a common practice that, that rabbis would call people to follow them, and, and students would literally follow around their teacher, literally walk with them. This was the way in which they were discipled. They would walk with them, they would hear from them, they would live with them, and they would incorporate what they learned into every part of their lives. So, this is what it means to walk in him, to be discipled by Jesus, to leave your old life behind and give it to Jesus, to follow him. This is so important for us to see because for, for so many in our world today, to be a Christian simply means going to church because that's what you do. And maybe I said a prayer, and and maybe I really do believe that he is the way to salvation, but what Paul is saying here is that you cannot fully follow Jesus simply from this seat on Sunday morning. We are to follow him at work on Monday, and with your family on Tuesday, and in your community, and with your neighbors, and by the way that you speak, and the way that you give, and the way that you serve, and in every part of your life. This is what it means to give your life to Christ, recognizing that when I am in Christ, it should impact how I walk, that I have a next step to take in my faith. It's cute, isn't it, to, uh, to see my son stagger around as he learns this new skill. But what was striking to me watching that video just now is, is just how far he's come in the last month or so since I took that video. It would be concerning if he hadn't gotten any better, wouldn't it? And this is what Paul is saying, is that this is what it looks like to walk with Christ. Recognizing that I have a next step to take. That I have been called to grow in my walk. That I can look back and see and and say that I'm not perfect and I haven't arrived and it's all because of him, but I can see the ways in which God is changing me and transforming me and making me more like him. This is why we encourage you to do things like memorize scripture. It's why we invite you to join Rooted groups and life groups and Bible studies. It's it's why we provide opportunities for you to grow in your faith. It's not because we don't think you don't have anything going on. Because this is how we grow deeper and deeper roots and how our lives become established and our hope becomes fixed on who he is. So what about you? What's your next step to take? What opportunity has God given you to grow and walk and become more like him? All of us, whether we're just learning how to walk or we've been doing this for a while, we all have a step to take. Okay, that's the first thing. Here's the next thing that Paul is going to teach us, that we are to be filled with Jesus, to be filled with him. Uh, Shortly after uh, Judy and I started dating, I came to realize something about her, um, which is that she is more susceptible to advertisements than anyone I've ever met in my life. She loves a good commercial. She truly believes that these companies care about our (laughs) well-being. They don't. (laughs) Um, we're talking about buying a new car at some point, and every car commercial that we see, she is sold. So, like, that's the one. If it was up to her, we'd have a fleet of cars, I think. Uh, we watch that show Shark Tank. You ever watch that show? And they bring all these these products and things that they want investments for. And every product that we see, she's like, should we get that? And it's like a, like an alarm clock that also makes bacon. And it's like, no, we should get two, obviously. <laughs> so one of my jobs as husband is to keep her from buying stuff that we don't need. So. Let me just say that if you are a salesperson or if you have one of those side hustles, you stay away from her, okay? (laughs) It's too easy and it's not fair. (laughs) This, though, is what we see from, from Paul. Look at these next several verses in Colossians 2, verse 8. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In other words, here's Paul's warning to the Colossians that there are people in your midst who are coming to you, and they are selling you this vision. And they are making you this promise. And they are giving this claim that it is not enough to have Jesus. You can have him, that's okay, but but here's what you need to add. Here's this philosophy, this tradition, this spirit, this God. This is what you need to really have a full and complete life. Paul's saying this is why it's so important that you walk with Jesus, that you're rooted in Jesus, that you are built up in him so that you can see with clarity what this truly is. Nothing more than emptiness and deceit. So this is Paul's argument. This Contrast that he makes, that Jesus and the world both make the same promises. Both promise fullness. Both promise satisfaction. Both promise joy. Wholeness. Paul's saying it is only Jesus, only the fullness of God himself that can bring those things into your life. Look again at verse 8. He's saying to us, make sure that you are not taken captive. Literally, don't get carried away. Don't let your faith become kidnapped when you hear arguments and philosophies and traditions that try to separate the promises that God makes from God himself. We experience this every single day, don't we? We are surrounded by a world that tells us what we need to live a full life, bombarded by messages about all the stuff that we must buy, and the freedom that we deserve, and the control that we must have that tells us that we should pursue our own happiness at any cost. We live in a world that tells us that we are at the center, and we are on the throne. And that anything that holds you back from experiencing what you want to experience and doing what you want to do is outdated and harmful and must be left behind. And Paul is saying, do not be deceived. Everything other than the gospel of Jesus is a promise that will never be fulfilled. Don't be taken captive. Uh, Last night, I had the privilege of hearing our new uh, pastoral resident, Blake Glosson. Some of you have met him. If not, you'll meet him soon. We're excited to have him. And, and he was preaching his first sermon uh, last night on this text. And, and he was talking about this idea, and he quoted Jim Carrey, the great philosopher of our time. <laughs> and as soon as he said that he was going to quote Jim Carrey, I got real nervous because I didn't know where he was going. Uh, but, but this was the quote. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. That's pretty good, Jim Carrey. But this is what Paul saying. That the promises that the world can offer, whether it's riches and fame or freedom and autonomy or even marriage and family, all of it is a promise that it will never be delivered. And all of it points to the one who can? Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise that every politician has ever made, that they will be the ones to bring order and justice and peace. Jesus is the fulfillment of every longing in our heart to love and be loved, to know and be known. Jesus is the fulfillment of the purpose that you seek when you have those moments when you question what all of this is all about. He is the one in whom the fullness of God dwells. And we are filled in him. This is what the gospel proclaims that if Jesus is enough, and if I am filled with him, then there's nothing else that I need. I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to reach a certain level of success or wealth or status. I don't need to be married. I don't need to earn anything with anyone live a full and complete life. I love how uh, Sterling put it a couple weeks ago, telling us that Jesus plus nothing is everything. For some of us, this is the reminder that we need, that, that Jesus who is the one that is in very nature God, the one who knew you before you were born, the one who spoke the world into existence, he is the one that looks at you and he says, you are enough and you have enough with me. Who are we to disagree with that? We'll close with this the last thing that Paul teaches to be alive with Jesus, to be alive with Him. Let me read the last several verses. This is going to be a lot. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. We'll get through it. Verse 11 In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Told you. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having, for, having, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in. Uh, back when I was a kid, I remember being at school one day. I think I was probably in first or second grade, somewhere around there, and, and I was out on the playground, and some kids had started to make fun of me and tease me and uh, a little bit, and I, and I remember this so clearly that they were just following me around the playground. And I was like seven, and I was sad. Uh, and, and I was kind of just walking around, trying to avoid them, and, and out of nowhere, my older brother shows up. My brother's two years older than me. Now that we're in our 30s, that's not a big deal. But when you're a first grader, a third grader is like, an adult. Like, I'm not even allowed to look at third graders at that point. They're too powerful. And so my brother, I remember this, he, he goes up to them, and he tells them to stop, and, and I remember this in part because my brother had said and done way worse things than what these people were doing to me. Like, but that's how brothers are, right? Like, I can do this, but you can't. And sisters, apologies. <laughs> I remember feeling that way, though, and and seeing him say those things and and those kids never bothering me again. And I felt invincible that day because a third grader is on my side. This is the picture, I think, that we should have in mind reading these final verses. Notice this, that that Paul again uses one metaphor after another to make his point. It is in Jesus that we triumph. Jesus that brings us victory. Jesus that gives us our protection. This is what he's saying, that before Jesus you were empty and dead and buried and unclean and defeated, and it is the fullness of God that makes you alive, that it is God that brings you victory. This is what he's saying in these verses you can see on the screen in verse 11 and 12. He he points to these two symbols, to circumcision and to baptism, and he's saying that That when you are in Christ, two things happen. Two realities are true. That you belong with Christ. And that you are alive with Christ. You belong to him. You're made clean by him. And he makes dead things alive. This is what we declared over you. If you've been baptized here at Chapel Street, we we put you in those waters and we said that you are buried with Christ in baptism. And we brought you out and we said that you are raised with him in newness of life. This is true of you. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has arrived. I love how Paul ends this section. This is what we'll close with today. Look again at verses uh, 14 and 15. See that Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Pause here for a moment. Leave it up for, for just a minute, these, these two verses, and, and notice with me all of the things that Jesus does in these two verses. Notice this, because all throughout church history, scholars have argued and wondered and theorized about what specifically Jesus did, about what specifically brought us salvation. And there are all these different arguments and different theories, and I think Paul would say that you can't really sum it up in one argument or one sentence or one theory, but but notice what Jesus does here. He cancels our debt. He nailed them to the cross. He disarmed the rulers. He put them to shame. And it is all of that that gives us victory. We're told that we have triumph in him. Paul here is using uh, military language, this tradition that the Romans had where when they would have a, a military battle victory, they would take those that they had defeated and they would parade them around their city, mocking them, putting them to shame, all to give glory to the one who brought about that victory. This is what Jesus offers to do for you, That Jesus, right now, today, longs to bring you victory, to declare you one of his, to mark you clean. On the day in which you put your faith in Christ, what is written here is what happened to you. What happened back then, what Paul is referring to when he talks about this uh, record of debt, is this practice where any time a payment was owed or any time a crime was committed, uh, it was written down. And oftentimes what would happen in crucifixion is that they would take that record and they would nail it to the cross so that anyone looking could see what that person had done. Remember what was written on Jesus' cross, King of the Jews. This is the record of debt that Paul is referring to. Proof that payment was owed. Proof that something needed to be reconciled. And what Paul is teaching us today, that every one of us had a record of debt. Every one of us had a record with two words written down. Guilt and shame. Guilt for all the sin. All the stuff that I wish I hadn't said. All the things I wish I hadn't done. Shame. Shame. For all the lies that I believed, all the promises that I wished were true, that turned out to be nothing but empty deceit. And this is what the gospel declares that Jesus, in an act of love and mercy and grace, took those things to the cross and said to them, No more. They are under my protection, they are free and alive have triumphed over you. This is the invitation that God gives to you today into a victorious life. A life free of guilt. A life free of shame. Not because of anything that you have done but because you are under his protection. You belong to This is the life that God wants us to live. A life filled not with cheap traditions and empty deceit, but a life that is rooted and grounded and established in the one who loves us. This is what the gospel declares, that when we walk with Jesus, when we are filled in him, we are made alive both now and forever. And this is what we remember today as we come to the table for communion. We do this. We're told that the, uh, the time that Jesus instituted this practice, he was with his disciples and, and he took the bread and he said, this is my body, which I break for you. This cup is a new covenant, a new promise. This promise is the one promise that will be ultimately fulfilled forever, that we are connected, united, if you put your faith in me. So I want to invite the worship team to come up as we prepare our hearts for communion. If you're new to Chapel Street or haven't been a part of communion here, we believe that that this is not our table, but God's table. If you have a relationship with him, you're welcome uh, to be a part of this. Uh, In just a moment, I'm gonna pray, and then when I do, I'll invite you to come up. We have the elements here, uh, and I'll invite you to come up and take them and, and head back to your seat. And just to take a moment to reflect to examine your heart, to have a moment of peace with your Savior. And when you feel ready, you can take those elements on your own as we continue in worship. If you're unable to make it up to the front for any reason, our ushers are in the back, put your hand up and they'll make sure that those come to you. Now would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the promises that you make to us. That you are with us and that we are with you. Thank you for the protection that you offer. Thank you for the life that you invite us to, a life free of guilt and free of shame. Lord, as we come to your table, would you allow us to examine our hearts, to seek you? Lord, I pray now specifically for those that are questioning if you're even here, that don't know how to find you. Would you show up in this moment even now? Help us to remember you now and forever. Amen. Amen. As always, if we can be praying for you, anything going on in your life, our prayer team will be available here at the stage. Talk to Pastor Sterling and I. We're we're honored to do that as well. Uh, If you came prepared to give, we have generosity boxes in the back. You can give online. We're so grateful for those of you that do that as well. Uh, And for today's benediction, I want to read to you uh, a prayer from the book of Ephesians that Allie actually read earlier in uh, today's service. This is uh, Paul's prayer and our prayer for you today. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go in that love today. Amen.